0: Chapter 6 Of the Defiant Agents by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Defiant Agents, Chapter 6 The night comes, Soe spoke slowly in English. Do these you fear hunt in the dark? She shook her head to free her forehead from a coil of braid, pulled loose in her struggle with Travis. They do not need eyes or such noses as those four-footed hunters of yours. They have a machine to track." "'Then what purpose is this brush-pile of yours?' Travis raised his chin at the disturbed hiding-place. "'They do not constantly use the machine, and one can hope, but at night they can ride on its beam. We are not far enough into the hills to lose them. Bahathur went lame, and so I was slowed. And what lies in these mountains that those you fear dare not invade them?" Travis continued. "'I do not know. Save if one can climb far enough inside, one is safe from pursuit.' "'I ask it again. Who are you?' The Apache leaned forward, his face in the fast fading light now only inches away from hers. She did not shrink from his close scrutiny, but met him eye to eye. This was a woman of proud independence, truly a chief's daughter, Travis decided. "'I am of the people of the Blue Wolf. We were brought across the Star Lanes to make this world safe for—for—the—' She hesitated, and now there was a shade of puzzlement on her face. "'There is a a reason—a dream—no, there is the dream and there is reality.' I am Kedessa of the Golden Horde, but sometimes I remember other things, like this speech of strange words I am mouthing now." The Golden Horde! Travis knew now. The embroidery, Sons of the Blue Wolf, all fitted into a special pattern. But what a pattern! Scythian art, the ornament that the warriors of Genghis Khan bore so proudly. Tatars, Mongols, the barbarians who had swept from the fastness of the steppes to change the course of history, not only in Asia, but across the plains of Middle Europe. The men of the emperor Khans who had ridden behind the yak-tailed standards of Genghis Khan, Kublai Khan, Tamerlane. The Golden Horde, Travis repeated once again. That lies far back in the history of another world, Wolfdaughter. She stared at him, a queer, lost expression on her dust-grimed face. I know—her voice was so muted he could hardly distinguish the words—my people live in two times, and many do not realize that. Zoe had crouched down beside them to listen. Now he put out his hand, touching Travis's shoulder. Redax? Or it's like—for Travis was sure of one point. The Project, which had been training three teams for space colonization, one of Eskimos, one of Pacific Islanders, and one of his own Apaches, had no reason or chance to select Mongols from the wild past of the raiding hordes. There was only one nation on Terra which could have picked such colonists. You are Russian. He studied her carefully, intent on noting the effect of his words. But she did not lose that lost look. Russian, Russian," she repeated, as if the very word was strange. Travis was alarmed. Any Russian colony planted here could well possess technicians with machines capable of tracking a fugitive, and if mountain heights were protection against such a hunt, he intended to gain them, even by night traveling. He said this to Soe, and the other emphatically agreed. The horse is too lame to go on. The younger man reported. Travis hesitated for a long second. Since the time they had stolen their first mounts from the encroaching Spanish, horses had always been wealth to his people. To leave an animal which could well serve the clan was not right. But they dared not waste time with a lame beast. "'Leave it here, free,' he ordered. And the woman? She goes with us. We must learn all we can of these people and what they do here. Listen, wolf again Travis leaned close to make sure she was listening to him as he spoke with emphasis, "...you will travel with us into these high places, and there will be no trouble from you." He drew his knife and held the blade warningly before her eyes. "'It was already in my mind to go to the mountains,' she told him evenly. "'Untie my hands, brave warrior. You have surely nothing to fear from a woman.' His hand made a swift sweep and plucked a knife as long and keen as his from the folds of the sash beneath her loose outer garment. Not now, wolf-daughter, since I have drawn your fangs. He helped her to her feet and slashed the cord about her wrists with her knife, which he then fastened to his own belt. Alerting the coyotes, he dispatched them ahead, and the three started on, the Mongol girl between the two Apaches. The abandoned horse nickered lonesomely and then began to graze on tufts of grass, moving slowly to favor his foot. The two moons rode the sky as the hours advanced, their beams fighting the shadows. Travis felt reasonably safe from any attack at ground level, depending upon the coyotes for warning. But he held them all to a steady pace. And he did not question the girl again until all three of them hunkered down at a small mountain-spring to dash icy water over their faces and drink from cupped hands. "'Why do you flee your own people, wolf-daughter?' "'My name is Kadesa,' she corrected him. He chuckled with laughter at the prim tone of her voice. "'And you see here Tsoe of the people, the Apaches, while I am Fox.' He was giving her the English equivalent of his tribal name. "'Apaches'—' she tried to repeat the word with the same accent he had used. And what are Apaches?' indians Amerindians, he explained. But you have not answered my question, Kadesa. Why do you run from your own people?' "'Not from my people,' she said, shaking her head determinedly. "'From those others.' It is like this—oh, how can I make you understand rightly? She spread her wet hands out before her in the moonlight, the damp patches on her sleeves clinging to her arms. There are my people of the Golden Horde, though once we were different and we can remember bits of that previous life. Then there are also the men who live in the skyship and use the machine, so that we think only the thoughts they would have us think. Now. Why?" she looked at Travis intently. "'Do I wish to tell you all this? It is strange. You say you are Indian—American. Are we, then, enemies? There is a part memory which says that we are—were—' "'Let us rather say,' he corrected her, "'that the Apaches and the Horde are not enemies here and now, no matter what was before.' That was the truth, Travis recognized. By all accounts, his people had come out of Asia in the very dim beginnings of migrating peoples. For all her dark-red hair and gray eyes, this girl, who had been arbitrarily returned to a past just as they had been by Redax, could well be a distant clan-cousin. you kadesa's fingers rested for a moment on his wrist—you, too, were sent here from across the stars. Is this not so? It is so. And there are those here who govern you now? No, we are free." "'How did you become free?' she demanded fiercely. Travis hesitated. He did not want to tell of the wrecked ship, the fact that his people possessed no real defenses against the Russian-controlled colony. "'We went to the mountains,' he replied evasively. Your Governing Machine failed?" Kadesa laughed. Ah! They are so great, those men of the Machines! But they are smaller and weaker when their Machines cannot obey them. It is so with your camp? Travis probed gently. He was not quite sure of her meaning, but he dared not ask more detailed questions without dangerously revealing his own ignorance. In some manner they control Machine it can only work upon those within a certain distance. They discovered that in the days of the first landing, when hunters went out freely and many of them did not return. After that, when hunters were sent out to learn how lay this land, they went along in the flyer, with a machine, so that there would be no more escapes. But we knew kadesa's fingers curled into small fists—yes, we knew that if we could get beyond the machines, There was freedom for us. And we planned, many of us, planned. Then, nine or ten sleeps ago, those others were very excited. They gathered in their ship, watching their machines. And something happened. For a while, all those machines went dead. Jagutai, Kuchar, my brother, Halagur, Menlik—she was counting the names off on her fingers—they raided the horse-herd rode out. And you? I too should have ridden. But there was Aljar, my sister, Kuchar's wife. She was very near her time, and to ride thus, fleeing and fast, might kill her and the child. So I did not go. Her son was born that night, but the others had the machine at work once more. We might long to go here. She brought her fist up to her breast and then raised it to her head. But there was that here which kept us to the camp and their will. We only knew that if we could reach the mountains we might find our people who had already gained their freedom." "'But you are here. How did you escape?' Zoe so wanted to know. "'They knew that I would have gone had it not been for Aljar. So, They said they would make her ride out with them unless I played guide to lead them to my brother and the others. Then I knew I must take up the sword of duty and hunt with them. But I prayed that the spirits of the upper air look with favour upon me and they granted aid." Her eyes held a look of wonder. For when we were out on the plains, and well away from the settlement, a grass devil attacked the leader of the searching party and he dropped the mind-control, and so it was broken. Then I rode. Blue sky above knows how I rode. And those others are not with their horses, as are the people of the wolf." When did this happen? Three suns ago. Travis counted back in his mind. Her date for the failure of the machine in the Russian camp seemed to coincide with the crash-landing of the American ship. Had one thing any connection with the other? It was very possible. The planeting spacer might have fought some kind of weird duel with the other colony before it plunged to earth on the other side of the mountain range. Do you know where in these mountains your people hide? Kadesa shook her head. Only that I must head south, and when I reach the highest peak make a signal fire on the north slope. But that I cannot do now. Those in the flyer may see it. I know they are on my trail, for twice I have seen it. Listen, Fox, I ask this of you. I, Kadesa, who am eldest daughter to the Khan, for you are like unto us, a warrior and a brave man, that I believe. It may be that you cannot be governed by their machine, for you have not rested under their spell, nor are of our blood. Therefore, if they come close enough to send forth the call—the call I must obey, as if I were a slave dragged upon a horse-rope—then do you bind my hands and feet and hold me here, no matter how much I struggle to follow that command? For that which is truly me does not want to go. Will you swear this by the fires which expel demons? Utter sincerity of her tone convinced Travis that she was pleading for aid against a danger she firmly believed in. Whether she was right about his immunity to the Russian mental control was another matter, and one he would rather not put to the test. We do not swear by your fires, Blue Wolf Maiden, but by the path of the lightning. His fingers moved as if to curl about the sacred charred wood his people had once carried as medicine. So do I promise." She looked at him for a long moment, and then nodded in satisfaction. They left the pool and pushed on toward the mountain slopes, working their way back to the pass. A low growl out of the dark brought them to an instant halt. Naganulta's warning was sharp. There was danger ahead, acute danger. The moonlight from the moons made a weird pattern of light and dark on the stretch ahead. Anything from a slinking four-footed hunter to a war-party of intelligent beings might have been lying in wait there. A flitting shadow out of shadows, Narak Ideu pressed against Travis' legs, making a barrier of her warm body, attracting his attention to a spot at the left, perhaps a hundred yards on. There was a great splotch of dark there, large enough to hide a really formidable opponent. That wordless communication between animal and man told Travis that such an opponent was just what was lurking there. Whatever lay in ambush beside the upper track was growing impatient, as its destined prey ceased to advance, the coyotes reported. You're left, beyond that pointed rock, in the big shadow. Do you see it? So I demanded. No, but the m'ba'a do. The men had their bows ready, arrows set to the cords. But in this light, such weapons were practically useless, unless the enemy moved into the path of the moon. "'What is it?' Kadessa asked in a half-whisper. Something waits for us ahead. Before he could stop her, she set her fingers to her lips and gave a piercing whistle. There was answering movement in the shadow. Travis shot at that. His arrow followed instantly by one from Tsoe. There was a cry, scaling up in a throat-scalding scream which made Travis flinch. Not because of the sound, but because of the hint which lay behind it. Could it have been a human cry? The thing flopped out into a patch of moonlight. It was four-limbed, its body silvery, and it was large. But the worst thing was that it had been groveling on all fours when it fell, and now it was rising on its hind feet, one forepaw striking madly at the two arrows dancing head-deep in its upper shoulder. Man? No, but something sufficiently man like to chill the three-down trail. A whirling four-footed hunter dashed in, snapped at the creature's legs, and it squalled again, aiming a blow with a forepaw. But the attacking coyote was already gone. Together, Nagan Ulta and Nalik Ideu were harassing the creature, just as they had fought the split horn, giving the hunters time to shoot. Travis, although he again felt that touch of horror and disgust he could not account for, shot again. Between them, the Apaches must have sent a dozen arrows into the raving beast before it went to its knees and Nagan Ulta sprang for its throat. Even then the coyote yelped and flinched, a bleeding gash across its head from the raking talons of the dying thing. When it no longer moved, Travis approached to see more closely what they had brought down. That smell! Just as the embroidery on Kaydessa's jacket had awakened memories from his Terran past, so did this stench remind him of something. Where, when, had he smelled it before? Travis connected it with dark, dark, and danger. Then he gasped in a half-exclamation. Not on this world, no, but on two others. Two worlds of that broken stellar empire where he had been an involuntary explorer two planet years ago. The beast-things which had lived in the dark of the desert world that Terran's wandering galactic derelict had landed upon. Yes, the beast-things, whose nature they had never been able to deduce. Were they the degenerate dregs of a once intelligent species? Or were they animals, akin to man, but still animals? The ape-things had controlled the night of the desert world. And they had been met again, also in the dark, in the ruins of a city which had been the final goal of the ship's taped voyage. So they were a part of the vanished civilization. And Travis's own vague surmise concerning Topaz was proven correct. This had not been an empty world for the long-gone space-people. This planet had a purpose and a use, or else this beast would not have been here. "'Devil!' Kadesa made a face of disgust. "'You know it?' Zoe asked Travis. "'What is it?' That I do not know. But it is a thing left over from the Star-People's time. And I have seen it on two other of their worlds." A man? So I surveyed the body critically. It wears no clothes, has no weapons, but it walks erect. It looks like an ape, a very big ape. It is not a good thing, I think. If it runs with a pack, as they do elsewhere, this could be a very bad thing. Travis, remembering how these creatures had attacked in force on the other worlds, looked about him apprehensively. Even with the coyotes on guard, they could not stand up to such a pack closing in through the dark. They had better hold up in some defendable place and wait out the rest of the night. Nagan'ulta brought them to a cliff overhang where they could set their backs to the hard rock of the mountain face outward to a space they could cover with arrow flight if the need arose. And the coyotes, lying before them with their noses resting on paws, would, Travis knew, alert them long before the enemy could close in. They huddled against the rock, Cadessa between them, alert at first to every sound of the night, their hearts beating faster at a small scrape of gravel, the rustle of a bush. Slowly they began to relax. "'It is well that two sleep while one guards,' Travis observed. "'By morning we must push on, out of this country.' So the two Apaches shared the watch in turn, the Tatar girl at first protesting, and then falling exhausted into a slumber which left her breathing heavily. Travis on the dawn watch began to speculate about the ape thing they had killed. The two previous times he had met this creature It had been in ruins of the old empire. Were there ruins somewhere here? He wanted to make sure about that. On the other hand, there was the problem of the Tatar-Mongol settlement controlled by the Reds. There was no doubt in his mind that, were the Reds to suspect the existence of the Apache camp, they would make every attempt to hunt down and kill or capture the survivors from the American ship. A warning must be carried to the rancheria as quickly as they could make the return trip. Beside him the girl stirred, raised her head. Travis glanced at her and then watched with attention. She was looking straight ahead, her eyes as fixed as if she were in a trance. Now she inched forward from the mountain wall, wriggling out of its shelter. What? Zoe had wakened again. But Travis was already moving. He pushed on, rushing up to stand beside her shoulder to shoulder. "'What is it? Where do you go?' he asked. She made no answer, did not even seem aware of his voice. He caught at her arm and she pulled to free herself. When he tightened his grip she did not fight him actively, as during their first encounter, but merely pulled and twisted, as if she were being compelled to go ahead. Compulsion. He remembered her plea the night before, asking his help against recapture by the machine. Now he deliberately tripped her, twisted her hands behind her back. She swayed in his hold, trying to win to her feet, paying no attention to him save as a hindrance against her answering that demanding call he could not hear. End of chapter 6